the galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adherent of the Mechanicum, or a brave mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find a home here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Remembrancers Retreat. I'm Jesse. I'm joined by Dave Sampson of Black Label Painting, Dave, and Jason. Hey, guys. <laughs> What's up, everyone? What's going on? Nothing much. Just enjoying this Memorial Day weekend out here in America. Hello to everyone else. America. The country. That's right. We get the deck. We get tomorrow off. Most of us, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, just a. Uh, chilling out, relaxing, and uh, yeah, that's about it. What do we want to talk about today? I want to see what we've been up to this week? Yeah, man. All right, cool. How about uh, Dave Sampson? What have you been up to this week? Oh, this week I have been uh, I've been taking a little bit of a tiptoe away from Heresy and painting on some Star Wars Legion stuff. Oh, nice. But got a lot of weathering in it, so it's not too far out my wheelhouse. Like I'm bringing my... Yeah painting heresy aesthetics over into it and just beating it all to piss cool i'm looking forward to seeing that come to fruition fun how, how do you like those models i noticed they're a little bit larger i guess they're like 32 scale as opposed to the heroic 28 yeah they're they're they almost remind me of like the the ralph hartha bones type stuff yeah I like that flexible bendy plastic stuff oh really the okay detail, the detail isn't nothing what we're used to in the heresy as far sure. as like the models like i'm working on some rebel rebel guys uh they're i mean they're they're, they're cool the the atst as soon as i've seen that thing i got a little bit of a chubby that thing that thing is a beast it's massive yeah, it's 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 huge it's like it's it's awesome it's fun to paint <laughs> yeah. cool Other all right thing, uh that's been about a bit Oh, that's fun too. I I still have my box in my closet. Need to get around to the, putting that stuff together. It's fiddly shit. <laughs> yeah. So you guys know it's fiddly shit. What yeah. what house what house are you playing, Dave? Well, I uh, I bought everything that's currently out right now. I like, bought all the gangs, all the books, and the starter set. And well played. I opened up the rule book and I told myself I wasn't going to do anything until I read all the books cover to cover and then decide from there. That's a, that's a bold, that's a bold move, man. Is that how you like approach most things? Well, yeah, like I go full ham. Like, uh, whenever I first started Mechanicum, I bought like 3,800 points or some stupid shit in like 2000, what was it? 2013. Yeah, didn't even didn't even read anything about them. I just bought a whole bunch of shit. I was like, I like all this. I'm buying it all. Yeah, no, I get it, man. Like I, I, I like as I kind of progress in the hobby and as I you know get older and learn my you know proclivities in terms of like impulse buying and shit. So, I, I think reading the books and understanding the rule set um, are it's it's super helpful, man, because then you build the crew that you want and you build the equipment that you want instead of you know, impulse buying shit and then building stock sets and stocks for stock versions of, of, uh, characters and, and not really building your own, you know? Yeah. I figured I would build up the, 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 the two gangs that come in the core box set and play those. Yeah. Uh, but as far as like the, the Orlock or the Vansar, 
I'm not going to mess with them just yet. Like I said, I yeah. really want to, I want to read everything and just get a better understanding and then make educated decisions as, as opposed to sporadic. Just, I want it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I do, I do want it yeah, all. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those, those models don't leave much to magnetize. So you gotta be oh, no. very choicey what you want. I put together one of the Goliath gangers and I was like, holy shit. There's you're, you're putting faces. You're putting skulls together. <laughs> like the face and the ears slip into the hair. It's, 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 it's they, they have gotten crazy. Like I know for a 40 K, like when Gilliman came out and his head mm-hmm. is like two or three different pieces. And that was the first time I saw one like that. And I was like, geez, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. They're nuts. All right. Well, very cool. Dave, what have you been up to? So I've been uh, I've been heavy into Battlefleet Gothic, man. Um, nice. about, yeah, it's 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 definitely doing it for me right now. I um, actually got a bunch of I have a bunch of the old Imperial armor books from mm-hmm. you know back when I guess Forge World was doing that for you know 40k. So a lot of those Imperial Armor books, I want to say the Siege of Rax, especially the Bad Abors, um, uh, Imperial Armor 3, which is, I think, the Taros campaign, which is the Tau and the Imperial Guard, um, have amazing backstories for Battlefleet Gothic and scenarios and rules. And I know it's not heresy, but... Battlefleet Gothic, you have to understand that like the the ships that are in Battlefleet Gothic, even in 40k, half of them are well half might be a, a bit of a, a exaggeration, but like there are ships in Battlefleet Gothic in 40k that are from the Heresy. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, like for sure, dude, especially the larger Absolute classes. Relics. Yeah, fucking relics, battleships, Gloriana classes like the flagships of the Legion are still flying. And uh, I love that part of the lore. Um, you know, obviously, and it's just such a good game. We played today. Uh, Jason and I played. Jason played his first game out since, I think, 2010. He's got a Mechanicum fleet that is absolutely awesome. So cool. I haven't played against anyone who's got a Mechanicum fleet before. And as you would expect, like shenanigans <laughs> you know like the mechanicum just they can do shit that like other factions can't man and it's yeah. it um it's just awesome because it's it takes like that that tactical mind to uh to get it to work and i i think jason man jason made it work today um i don't know jason what do you think well uh yeah like you said it has been uh just shy of a decade I played this last, and uh, <clears throat> I'm a big fan of the Mechanicum so far. I'm actually uh, painting my Hades Cruiser right now as I uh, talk about it, but um, it has the exact same feel to it as playing Mechanicum in 30k does, because you have less cruisers and, well, less ships overall, really, and they're more expensive. But uh, like you said, they can do a bunch of interesting stuff that a lot of other races can't. Like uh, today, I got a little lucky with my uh, Mechanicum gift rolls. Uh, just to keep it kind of short and simple, uh, each Mechanicum ship, while they are pretty much the same cruiser the Imperial Navy and the Chaos Fleets use, each one gets to roll a D6 on this little chart. 
to get a Mechanicum specific upgrade. So uh, <laughs> I got a little lucky with Hades, which uh, has a very attractive uh, bunch of lances on it. And I rolled the upgrade that allows you to, uh, one, all of your uh, gun batteries have a positive shift to the left. And any uh, rolls of six to hit with your lances uh, cause double hits, which is... Uh, oh, wow. It uh, did pretty good work today. It is it is powerful, but I will tell you, um, Jason's dice did him zero favors today. Uh, everyone else was, was rolling, like, pretty good, man, pretty hot. And Jason was just kind of, like, fighting with his dice. But uh, I'll tell you, man, that Mechanicum fleet, if... If those dice get hot, man, fucking watch out because it's it is gonna be an awesome uh it's gonna be an awesome fleet, man. It's gonna be an awesome list too. What's interesting too, and something unfortunately I completely forgot to do, is you're supposed to choose a ship for uh an experimental upgrade too. And that is its own little set of D six charts. You get a one D six for a bonus, like a extra shield. Uh, five cm extra movement things like that uh number six on that is really gross because it's uh any prow or dorsal lances on a six to hit ignore shield so yeah if i ever manage to get that on top of my uh improved weapons batteries for double hits that'd be a little gross but uh then you also get a d6 negative too which could be things like all your lances and weapon batteries strength or have or negative two hit points or Things like that. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, no, it's 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 been such a good time, man. And and uh yeah, Jesse, you just gotta get out, man. You gotta get out, get your yeah. feet on the table. It's, you'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the only piece together. I you know, for the life of me. Like I had my ships up in a box for a little while and I kept ordering stuff from eBay. And somehow I end up with just a shit ton of firestorms. It's like I keep <laughs> keep forgetting I have firestorms. And I come in the, in the mail, more firestorms. It's like, why do I keep forgetting? Yeah. <laughs> the same class. But, they're things to have. Yeah, I hear they're great, but I don't want to be the guy who comes in with 12 firestorms. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. Thank you, Dave. Jason, you mentioned uh, you're painting up your mechanical fleet. Been doing anything else this week? Uh, nah, truth be told, that is uh, more or less it. I did finish up painting a Majos for our good buddy Pat, uh, one of those uh, creepy domini from the uh, 40k kit with the crazy Pope hat. I saw that this morning. It looks really cool. Yeah, thanks. I got. Uh, I liked uh, taking that little break to paint something different uh, for a scheme. Pat's sure. are uh, actually pretty close to the color scheme for the Kiari Forge from Jao Arcade. They're like uh -huh. a emerald green and kind of like a goldy bronze color so it's good to take a little break and paint something you know completely out of my wheelhouse that's cool very very cool all right what do you, for myself, what do you even have to jesse <laughs> well for myself um been painting up a falchion which has been a lot of fun that I, looks uh, beautiful man yeah i am um, so just this week i got a uh, badger patriot airbrush and uh, it's been like a night and day difference from my old cheaper airbrush. Like it felt like with my previous one, I'm always fighting to get the paint out. And this Patriot 101, it's just, <laughs> just a night and day difference. It, it is. It's like, let me get this paint out. I'm like, whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down. 
but yeah, it works out really well. So I'm pretty happy with it. And other than that, nothing too much on this side, hobby-wise. So yeah, that's been it for me. So I see Will's here. William, you have been summoned. Oh, no, I've just been sick all week. You're fine. Okay, cool. Well, anything with Castellax or um, Terminators or anything like that. Okay, good. That's what I thought. No, really, (laughs) I have just been sick, and uh, that is okay. We're good to continue on. Okay, continuing on. Well, that sucks, dude. Cast down. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I don't know where this thing... It's not like Patty brought it home from daycare or anything like that. It's just I'm in a new workplace. Some dude next to me had the sniffles one day. Next Ugh. day, I had the sniffles. And I was like, God damn it. And I was like out of commission. It wasn't just a cold, man. I was like vomiting. I had a fever. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah. I, I This was like the Joe crud you get when you first go to basic. It was just like garbage in my body. Wow. Yeah. And I'm still trying to find yeah, that's when you like bring in a bottle of Dayquil and you just like fucking set it on the I dude's desk. It. I was just pounding it. <laughs> I had like I had two bottles of Dayquil and I, it was like, make sure you don't take more than four doses. I was like, fuck that, taking the whole bottle. Right, you're not you just not even measuring anymore. You're like, I lost the glass somewhere. Wakes off the bottle, you know. Just taking hits. Yeah. Like, right after all that heavy rain, I was like, oh well, it's it's clearly just you know sinuses, I guess. Right. Oh, no, no. Yeah. It progressed so much worse. The next day when I woke up, my joints felt like I was fucking 64 years old. <laughs> just made of like, I don't know, cardboard bo- like bones and stuff like that. I was, I had hollow bird syndrome is what I had. It's rough. It's rough. Uh, you feeling better though? Uh, a little bit. I'm, I think yeah. I still sound a bit congested, but uh, like my body doesn't hurt anymore. And I'm feeling good enough to drink. So uh, there you go. Man. Perfect. I find there isn't very little that can't be cured with just a slight overdose of NyQuil. So, yeah, so keep up the doses. Medically induced coma and you're good to go. <laughs> yep. Can't feel sick if you're unconscious. So, that was the plan, man. Like, I would take DayQuil while I was at work. And then as soon as I got home, I like took NyQuil and just crashed out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, get better soon, Will. Thanks. I appreciate that. One uh, thing that did happen, I guess, over the week is I just been like roster baiting as far as like uh, those fucking Battlefleet Gothic stuff. I know I, I know I came onto the cast as you guys were finishing up talking about it. Uh, I guess what you've been up to, but um, yeah, man, I just keep eyeballing this Battlefleet Gothic fleet. I have the like the whole shopping carts ready to go, but then I just keep thinking about Titanicus, and I just feel like it's one or the other. But maybe it doesn't yeah. have to be, guys. Well, <laughs> compromise that can be made for me, I guess for, um, Battlefleet Gothic, the only thing that I'm kind of nervous about and dropping a lot of money right now is seeing the scale change for Adeptus Titanicus. It's like, I'm not hundred percent sure I want to drop a bunch of money on BFG just right now, just to have the scale completely change on me later. But I think here's the thing, right, Jesse, I think we're safe because we have so many BFG players currently that if they do change the scale, we'll just say, "Hey, uh, let's not." You know, <laughs> let's just not. That's a good. That is, that is a good point. Like we are, we're playing a dead game, so. Yeah, I mean, so the other <laughs> thing, the other thing, and I'm not sorry. It's not. If dead. he were on here, he, he would he would definitely point this out. Is Battlefleet Gothic is not in scale to itself, right? So the escorts in Battlefleet Gothic are not in scale to the battleships. 
So oh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, they, they, they're approximately the same, but it, it is a game mechanically that's based off the bases and the stems. So, like, right. you, you could literally play it with any size ship you want, and it wouldn't oh. look out of place. And well, it David, would... you just saved me 70 bucks then. I appreciate that, man. I'm just going to yeah. fucking paint the stem <laughs> to look like a ship. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, just put a little piece of cardboard on top of it, you know. Oh, paper plane. Say, yeah, but no, seriously, Will, I think Battlefleet Gothic all the way, because even if Titanicus releases in August, which we all think it will, it's, you know, what they said they were going to do. Dude, look at Necromunda. I mean, Necromunda released over a year ago, and we are still at the point in our community where people are, you know, painting up their gangs. And... That's true. Yeah, people are, like, I, I still have... Slow start. Like it's a slow it's burn, man. On the sprue, you know what I mean? Yeah, dude. Yeah. So if you no want to play rush. a game now, like Battlefleet Gothic is going, it's going hot. It's in our community. And I, I mean, I just get in on it, dude, because we're about to kick up a, camp, a campaign and it's going to be fucking awesome. You're right. All right. Well, easy, easy choice, man. That was, that's good. Thank you for selling me <laughs> fucking ships I need <laughs> right at this moment. But... Just meet me on the corner later, dude, you know? <laughs> First hits free. Hey man, wanna buy some fleet war? Wanna buy some void warfare, man? Yeah. Um, Got some lances. Uh, it'll be awesome. I think so. Like I said, I, I I think I teased the fleet that I was looking at. It's just uh sticks, a retribution, a couple of lunars, uh, and then just uh every different type of frigate I could find. I still don't know what the fuck I have. Oh, I know. I got one Dauntless and a bunch of Firestorm and, like, two light cruisers? I don't know. If I'm Iron Hands, I'm post. <laughs> My thing is, if I'm if I'm Iron Hands, I'm post Istvan, so I'm lucky to have a battleship, really. I'm Honestly, I'd probably be lucky to have a battle cruiser, but I'm going to try, I right. guess, to fill out the majority of my points in smaller ships, which would more likely have escaped the Istvan 5 Void War. Rather than the bigger ships, it probably would have been target for it. I don't, that's yeah. my theory. Now, like, did the Iron did the Iron Hands go all in, or were they like the Raven Guard who kind of left a contingent back home? Or, uh, well, so the Iron Hands had ships that got lost along the way. Ferris didn't do uh, the rally at OP before the assault thing, like you're supposed to do, like every right. military doctrine tells gonna... you to do. <laughs> So yeah, a little hot-headed. Like, yeah, he was like, all right, these guys are with me. We're going in. So, yeah, not the entire fleets. And that's how Autech Moore actually escapes the Estevan 5 uh, atrocity was he just didn't arrive in time. So when he got there, he's like, <laughs> I'm out. Deuces. Just like that old little gif of uh, Grandpa Simpson coming into the uh, restaurant. Yeah, exactly takes his hat right. off, puts his he hat puts back his, on, walks right back yeah, out. Walks right in, puts his fucking uh, little servo arm on, and then walks back out. <laughs> Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, so what do we have today, Jesse? Well, I know one of the things we got going on is Heresy Grad School with Dave and Jason. And I believe you and uh, Dave Sampson will be doing a little bit of uh, Paint Like a Pro. Indeed. Very cool. Yeah, this is going to be the part two of our Paint Like a Pro. We talked about what you're going to need after you buy your Betrayal of Calth and your Sicker and Battle Tank, and we're going to talk about now how to build it. Awesome. Not right now, but in this episode. Oh, no, right now. Right after this break. I thought we were going to talk about Dave's event down at, uh, at Louisville. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Dave's event first. Yeah, what, what was That's the Music City Heresy, right? Oh, well, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. No worries. I mean, it's called Music City. I'm just fucking retarded, dude. <laughs> yeah. uh, Circulus Ignis is the name of the event. It's Latin for Ring of Fire. Nice. Yeah, I love that, man. Where did where did you come up with that? Well, it's it's Music City, Johnny Cash. That's pretty much it. <laughs> right on. Ring of Fire. Got it. Sounds John, I, I just made that mental leap right there. That was hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's 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 awesome, dude. Yeah. Let's uh, take a quick break and come right back. And Dave, if you're good, we can talk all about it. All righty. All right, cool. We'll be right back, guys. All right, folks, we are back. Dave Sampson of Black Label Painting is going to talk to us about the event that was running. Was it last week, the week before last? That was last weekend. We last week. Yep. Cool. Down at Music City Heresy. You know what I say last week, and I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. Am I, am I being stupid? <laughs> I am being stupid. It was the weekend before last. No, okay, no. cool. I, yeah, I, I've lost track of time myself, too. That's fine. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, yeah, tell so, us about uh, it. It looked amazing. Yeah, well, we – uh. We uh we 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 had the event. Uh, we've been trying to like grow it. Uh, last year we just had a. Uh, it was kind of small. It was like ten of us. But this year we've actually we sold twenty spots. Uh, a few people couldn't make it. You know that just happens. So we ended up with uh with sixteen people that did show. Uh, we started some events on Friday night, which we did the uh, Zomortalis event on on Friday, and then we did an APOC event on Friday. Uh, the Zone Mortalis was really fun, really interesting. We we incorporated a lot of the stuff from the, uh, what is it, Oz30K group? No, actually, it was the Mournival, excuse me. The Mournival guys yeah. had, had put together some cards and some really cool just effects that happened when you play ZM. Uh, and each, each end of each turn, you got to roll, roll a dice and, cons- and you know, fill up the chart. And it was uh, it's, it's pretty gnarly. If, if anyone's never played ZM that way, I would uh, – I would welcome you to try the Mortable event guys' stuff uh, because it's really cool. Uh, it adds a whole another dynamic to see him. Uh, but uh, that that started off and went pretty well. Everybody had blast. We had, uh, I think it was ten people playing Zone Mortalis. Uh, you know, and then the the winners from you you could pick up bonuses uh, for the main event on Saturday. You know, playing the ZM event. Um, that rolled on, and we finished that up around 6 o'clock at night, and then we rolled right into the APOC event. The APOC event was pretty crazy. Of course, every APOC event's pretty crazy. Uh, we, <laughs> oh, yeah. We didn't have any actual Titans, uh, but I did have a Warlord that I was very hesitant to put on the table. So I decided to just say it was, uh, it was a Legio Graphonicus that was uh, infected nice. with some scrap code that came in and just randomly shot sides of the table. And it was doing that going full ham the entire game. Very cool. Uh, but it was, it was fun. Everybody had a really good time. You know, the drinks were flowing. We still had people coming in Friday night as well. And, uh, and then we rolled into Saturday's event, which was the main event. And, you know, just like your standard narrative event, you know, loyalists and traders can get together. We, we themed some of the tables. Uh, we've come up with some some bonuses and pluses and minuses on the tables. 
Uh, let me find one real quick. Uh, just to, I got all these in front of me, and they're all everyone. And whenever they're, they're done with an event, they just throw all their shit in a pile and leave. <laughs> of course, I got it all. Okay. And that's not. Dave, did you have help running this? Because I mean, it looks just like a massive undertaking. I did. I, I had help with, with from Joe Kirkus. Uh, okay. He he did a lot of the event stuff as far as writing the mission objectives and uh, a lot of the fluff for the for the for the system. He took care of all of that, and I had to pretty much slave away on the terrain. Uh, and then I also had help from another uh, local guy. His name's Kurt. And let me make sure I get his last name in here because he will hate me. Is Kurt Venice? Um, he helped out with with some of the terrain as well. He helped out with some of the ZM stuff, and uh, I couldn't have done it without those two guys. That's for sure. Yeah, man, right on. Huge undertaking. So, just as a uh, you know, we 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 set up some of the tables like the big. Uh, the big, the main event table was the the table that I don't know if you've seen the pictures of it. It's had the Forge World tiles, and then the big cathedral in the middle, all the this just the, the cityscape stuff. Um, yeah, the uh, the Sector Imperialis. The uh, oh no, this is these are actually the Forge World Sector Imperialis tiles, right? Or they the yeah, Realm of Battle? The, the Forge World Realm of Battle. Realm of yeah, Battle. holy yeah, shit, that, man, these are gorgeous. That I, you know, I I like mats. I love. You know the 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 battle mats and, and just the rollout mats. They're nice, but I am a sucker for 3D terrain. Yeah, well, for sure. So I didn't use but two of those uh, of of uh, of those mats. Everything else was 3D terrain. Uh, I took some realm. Of, we took a couple realm of battle boards, and we put uh, was it nine tiles together and made a giant uh, 2v2 table, which was <laughs> to fight over the the big guns, uh, the bombardment. Uh, the bombardment guns and all that, uh, which last year the the loyalist won the won the board and actually it was had progressed into a aggro world this time. Last year it was like a death world. Well, you know they they took control of the, of the planet and then uh, made it all nice and pretty. Had to make a big jungle table for it. Brought their terraforming technology to the yeah. board. Yeah. So we had with several. Several different city fight boards. Um, we had uh, one lava board, which was pretty cool. You know, Joe wrote rules for the board that if you actually get into the lava. Now, most people have lava boards, and then they're just like, oh, you just move over it. Or, you know, it's this or that. Well, Joe had wrote rules for it that if you got into the lava, you took a strength eight hit. <laughs> so, but I, I did have bridges. I had four bridges on the table, and they were the objective. Uh, you, you, you know, the whoever was to capture the bridges and hold them at till the end of the game, um, stuff like that. We, we gave them actual objectives, not just, Oh, secure slot. Number one, you know, they had to actually secure, uh, terrain pieces. And then, you know, we through most of the boards, not all of them. And, uh, and that yeah, was, uh, just that was a my two huge... cents, man. I gotta say terrain objectives are always better than just token objectives. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Correct. And, now we did have some token objectives, but next year I'm gonna move to where I have nothing but terrain objectives. It's just so much cooler. Yeah, just so much more immersive. You like you feel like I'm actually fighting for something that's vital. Correct, correct. You know, this this event we didn't have any Primarchs. It was you know, you 
you had to claim your name. You can have one named character. Uh, you had to claim him before the event. And, you know, we were, we allowed some of those, but none of no Primarchs. Uh, we did not allow Custos in this one only for the reason that it did not make sense in our storyline. No other reason other than, uh, but those were the only real limitations for building your list for the event. Uh, other than that, I mean, it was, it was really fun. Everybody had a really good time. The traders actually did take the system this time. They took it back. So the, the loyalists are going to have to get their shit in gear and, uh, and make it happen next year. What Dude. was the uh, spread between loyalists and traders? Uh, we were even up. Nice. Man, I love that, dude. Every event I feel like we hold, we're always even, you know? Yeah. I think there was one event where we were, like, definitely, like, one-sided on uh, traders being there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's, luckily, there's armies out there, like Solar Auxiliary or Mechanicum, that as long as they don't have any faction-specific characters, you can just be like, look, guys, I need you to just play as, you know, another faction for this game. But, yeah, uh, yeah man, I just feel like Heresy's in a good place where you're always, or most of the time, like 99% of the time, going to see an even spread. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. It, it, uh, we had, we had one, one Black Shield player that helped it out a lot, and he actually came from up y'all's, I think he was in Delaware, is where he, he flew in for the event. He brought his Black oh, wow. Shields. Yeah, we, we had one guy show up from Louisiana with uh, his alpha legion you know it was it was i was surprised that, that the the distance some of these guys had traveled so with that i was happy you know me putting all the the month-long effort into all the terrain made it that much more worth it for me because these guys were able to come play on what i felt like was decent terrain i didn't you know nothing was unpainted everything had paint on it and i at least tried to get you know paint with some washes and some highlights to make it look decent so everyone can can play on some some really nice stuff and be that much more immersed into the game. You know, it's a it's a that to me is a big big part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no there you'll never find a felt mat with three trees from the thrift store on my and anything that I do. <laughs> so you're telling me that if I go to an event that you're working on, I shouldn't expect to see just white styrofoam cut out into like L shapes? No, no. Oh, ouch. Whoa, definitely, oh, definitely shots not. fired. I'm sorry. Was that too, <laughs> too, too soon. Too soon. soon. <laughs> no, no, it's not too soon. There's already a shirt made about it. You can't. Yeah, guys, what were they thinking? All right. <laughs> So, Dave, I just got to say, man, the swag that you guys put into this event is yes. unbelievable. Like, like top quality, man. You guys went all out on this. I mean, to include yeah. de decals. Yep. Yeah, we bought the, the, the biggest package that Tagged Events out of Australia currently it, it, they, they put out. They put out the – it's the dog tags of your choice. It's the patch uh, to match – whatever you want it to match to to tie into your event and then whatever the patch is they do matching decals as well that's solid i did their uh decals i i say we did their decals <laughs> and uh they were great man we we yeah. still or not the decals shit dog tags dog tags mm. uh and we still have people who still have their dog tags and we still use them at events yep so yeah, my keychain we, we actually we honor dog tags. Like that, I, that's one thing I want to do with our event is always honor the dog tags. Even if you won them at another event, we'll honor them. Bring them, use them. All right. If you're saying fun. that, then I think it's only right that we do the same, guys. Is are we in agreement? 
Yeah. Sounds good to me. All right. So, yeah. but, but the rules I think would have to be written on the dog tag, right? Correct. Yeah. Everything is printed on the dog tag. Oh, okay. See, ours doesn't have rules printed, but here on out, I think we'll be getting oh. it printed then. We just, for every event that we host, we'll be like, all right, the dog tags are worth this. And usually the go-to one is bear blades, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, this event we gave, um, on, on the dog tag is, you know, it's got just like your standard dog tag and it's printed in there and it's got the music city heresy, circulus ignis, the name of the event. And then the, uh, what it gives is it gives an independent character, preferred enemy, independent character. That is the dog tag that we gave out this year. Very solid. That is. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I love that dude. Um, so you're definitely doing this again next year. Yes. Yeah. We're doing it again next year. Our hopes is just to make it even bigger. You know, I, I, yeah. I shot, I, I got the okay for 30 slots this year. Uh, I didn't, I didn't advertise it as much as I probably could have uh, because, Hey, let's face it. It's, it's, it's running a commission studio and, and doing this and that it's, it's hard. Uh, yeah. But I'm going to be lighting some fires under the guys, a couple of the guys that helped me to get them to help promote it a little bit better. So we can get the word out. And then I want to shoot for that 30. Want to be able to lock down that 30 next year. Yeah. yeah that's so, solid. I, mean, I, I was talking to Jesse and I mean, I'm pretty sure you got us going next year. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, and we are back. We've got Dave Sampson of Black Label Painting and Will here today to talk about continuing on their series of Paint Like a Pro and basically beginning with Horus Heresy with the trail of Kalth Box and Karen for the fun of it. So, Will, Dave? Yeah, so uh, the whole plot behind this little segment is that you are a brand new individual who just bought a Betrayal of Kalth, and you went on Forge World and you said, hey, I'm going to buy something that is really like a staple of Horus Heresy, so you bought yourself a Sycorin. All right, so that's your army to start with, and we're talking about how to get it onto the table and playing. Now, we've yep. already talked about what the basic materials you'll need. You need, you know, the two models kits, the Trail of Kalth kit, and then the Sickering kit, and uh, a whole bunch of hobby supplies that we recommended. So go yep. and check that episode out if you haven't already. But now, Dave, let's go ahead and get into it. We just opened up our Trail of Kalth. We got a bunch of plastic sitting there. We, we smelled all the sprues. We checked all the bases, made sure we have all of our bases. We made yep. sure all of our pieces were there. What's the so, next step? What do we do? So what, what you're going to do after you open your Betrayal of Kalth box set, you're going to look at all the plastic, and you're like, ah, oh, it's going to soak it all in. You pull all your plastic sprues and your bases out of the box. Now, what's left of the box, all the contents, just take all that and throw it in the driveway. Yeah, and... that's, the, that's the most fun <laughs> part of it is throwing away half of the stuff you paid for. Yep, it's like, wow, just like 75% of it is just pure cardboard weight. Yep, just a bunch yep. of garbage. I don't know. You you could probably could use it, but we, anyways, back over to uh, to getting into it. You're gonna want to get your clippers. You're gonna want to clip all. You want to get your instructions. Let's let's be real. You know, you guys just getting into this. You might not know. You might not want to get it too ahead of, far ahead of yourself. But you know, break out your instructions. Familiarize yourself with the instructions. Familiarize yourself with the numbers on the sprues. Yes, um, please start, do. <laughs> yeah, do that. Let's do it. I learned my I learned my lesson early on. 
My shirt yes. pops. Like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you definitely want to look over the sprues and, and, and see where the numbers are and just 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 dig into it. Uh just go ahead and put your put your 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 uh, mark threes together. Holy cow, that's right. Yeah. Uh put your put your marines together and uh you'll clip out all your pieces. You know, you clean your pieces up and then you'll glue them together using the what what did we say before? Just the, the plastic glue. Yeah, uh, plastic glue or if you can't do plastic glue, then uh, um, super glue. Super glue. My yeah. recommendation was uh, uh, Tamiya's super thin cement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm any. I, I always use testers. Testers. It's in the blue bottle. It doesn't smell like chemical death. It's not as bad. Um, but that's you know either one of those will work as long as you put it together and glue it together and take your time with it. Uh, if you're moving on to you know, the, 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 the plastic stuff's pretty easy. You know, if you just follow the instructions, it'll all flow together real nicely. Uh, yeah, we, we cannot stress follow the instructions enough because ARM 34 does not match up with ARM 48, okay? And you do not want no. dudes holding bolters by their dicks, okay? So you need no. to make sure <laughs> that you get the numbers right, especially Correct. the ARMs. And don't – just doing, don't be – If ahead, you're I'm doing sorry. burning of Prospero, you got to do the same thing with the legs because those legs – do not they're not generic they they have to go with their paired leg uh, yeah one thing i discovered after doing a few boxes is to cut out all the same number arms like all your 34s and then the adjoining one like i guess is 35s and just do those three at a time you don't have to do one at a time you just make sure you have the right pairs and just work your way through that it just some makes it a little quicker but that's just yeah. me yeah, there's, there's, you, you, you just, you know, again for the fourth time, check the instructions before you just go full ham into it, uh, and we say that because the struggle can be real, as like he's pointed out, and Dick holding the bolter all that jazz. Uh, but some people like to go ahead and glue their Marines together and glue them on their bases once they're done. I personally don't because I like to paint my bases separately. Uh, but for this instance, we'll just say you're going to put them together and get them ready to go. So glue them on the bases and get them ready to go. Um, also, let's stop real quick and talk about uh, sub-assemblies because in Betrayal of Calf, you're going to get characters. Mm-hmm. And some of those characters have capes on them. So what you're going to want to do is something called a sub-assembly. We're going to want to assemble as much of the model as you can without obstructing too much of, I guess, what you'll, you'll, what you'll need to paint. So a good example of this, I think, is Skitari or Sekitari, where you'll assemble the top halves and then leave the legs off so you can get to the cloaks behind, right? Yep. Yep. So it's the same concept. Make sure you do your sub-assemblies, look at the instructions, see how far you can build a certain thing before you have to say, all right, this is enough, let's go put some paint on it, and then we'll build it further. Yeah, do you- now, let me ask you, do you do you glue your guys to your bases, or do you leave them off and glue them after the base has been painted? It typically depends on what it is or how large it is. So if it's a bigger character model, I will sub-assembly and leave it off the base and do the base separate. Like Constantine Baldor, I'm doing him right now. He's in multiple sub-assemblies. Yeah. See, I, I became a fan of Popsicle Sticks. And I recently yeah. heard about yeah. that, and I've been an idiot, and I've been uh, just super gluing them to bases and breaking them off. But popsicle sticks, I think, are more cost effective than just 
bases because eventually you have to throw those bases I've... away at a at a cost loss. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then it's also you know we'll just we'll just say if you if you try the popsicle method where it is you you basically assemble the marine and you glue him to one on put one marine on one end of the popsicle stick and another marine on the other end of the popsicle stick. So I typically can airbrush and work on two models in my hand at once with this popsicle stick. Nice. Yeah, I actually, uh, from the local craft, school, uh, craft store, I picked up some craft sticks, which are basically popsicle sticks, but the size of like the tongue depressors. Yep, and that's I, exactly I, what I yep. use. And I could put uh, like five Marines. I use double-sided tape and just lay them out. I don't really, I don't know if glue would work on that. But anyway, yeah, I just use some double-sided tape, slap them on there, prime them on that stick, bring them over to the paint airbrush booth, you yep. know, just prime them up. Go to I pick, I I I go I pick up uh, their jumbo craft sticks. They're the same thing, like you're talking about the uh, tongue pressers. I pick those up at Walmart, and yeah. they work they work perfectly. You buy a box of three hundred for a couple bucks. Oh yeah, yeah. So, well, those are not, I, could, well, I could have a hell of a wow, popsicle on this thing. This. I just bought a five hundred box or five hundred count box from Amazon for ten bucks. So there you Welcome go. Welcome to the club. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, this is definitely uh, something else I'm learning. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's something something to add to, uh, you know, every, you, you getting your hobby on basically makes it yeah, a lot yeah, easier. Absolutely. And, and if you're if you want to add in custom resin bases, this is another method. You you want to do this and then paint your bases and then put them together. But no, I, I recommend will say when it comes to uh, the painting of the bases, I do that with the models on, and then I add the pigments, of course, because I want mine to. That's just, I guess, how that the, the current Shattered Legion army has been designed is from day one, is where, like, the pigments are, and the dust and the grime from the city is getting on shit and boots and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, yep. But definitely, I knew I would have a better experience if I did popsicle sticks because there have been times where I'm painting a base gray, and just the slightest bit of gray will get on the boot, and you're like, that yeah. doesn't look good. Just runs your day, man. Just runs yeah. your day. So popsicle sticks, guys. There you go. When yep. it comes time, that's part of prepping. Build your model, put them on these popsicle sticks ready for paint. Yep. I highly recommend it. And then once you get all of your, your Betrayal of Calf contents assembled and on popsicle sticks, you run out, you know, you start priming the bad boys. Now, now hold on. You... let's go into more into uh, building real quick. A big thing okay. you're going to need to do is remove mold lines. Oh, yeah. yeah that that would have been a your barrel, catastrophe, guys. if you will. Yeah. yeah. you got to remove those mold lines. I use a Citadel mold line remover. Mm -hmm. And I was, a, I was a sucker. I saw Citadel, sure, way too much money. But I was like, let me try it. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. I use it all the time. It's one yeah, of the handiest tools I, they I have. I use it as well. So definitely get yourself either your X-Acto knife and remove these mold lines or get you know, invest in the Citadel Moldline Remover because it is worth it. Of all the tools that I've bought from Citadel in the past four years, that has been the one that has stayed in the arsenal the longest. Yeah. Uh, real quick, now that I'm thinking of it, if, uh, you know, if you get like a plasma gun, you know, if you've ever, you've ever worked on anything, it's like the plasma coils, and you'll notice it's like a mold line running right down the top of it. Yes. How do we get rid of that? The quickest way I have found to get rid of it is honestly 
with a testers, like I use the testers glue. It's in like a weird funky triangle tube and it's got the, the long thin sprout. Okay. So it yeah, just I know very, exactly lets out yeah. plastic lets glue, out. right? Yep. Yes. It lets out a very small amount. Uh, no, this only works for plastic, of course, but uh, if you take a really thin line of glue, the, the, the plastic cement glue and run it on top of that mold line, the the glue will heat it up and soften it and melt it away. It gets rid of the mold line completely. There you go. Interesting. Uh, another thing I want to talk about, when you build your plastic contemptor that comes in your Betrayal of Calf kit, you're going to have a mold line or a seam line, actually, that runs down the legs. Mm -hmm. So this is a huge problem because it's, it, it's very painful on the eyes. And one of the methods when we go to... Uh, uh, painting, we're going to talk about dry brushing, and dry brushing is really going to capture that and just bring it out into your face. <laughs> Got to go <laughs> ahead you and off. that seam line in, and the best way to do that, I think, is green stuff, liquid green stuff. Personally, I use mill putty, um, which is the same thing, two-part resin component. You'll mix it up just like green stuff, and then you can fill it into the lines, sand it smooth, and be good to go. But you need to look for your seam lines and clean those up also before you get going. The mold lines definitely be highly agitated. Yeah. And then uh, what else? We have, uh, I think the last thing, David, drill barrels. You got to drill the barrels, man. Yeah, you can't forget those either. I was just going to uh, forget that. I got a, uh, what is it, a bridle punch <laughs> so I could start making pilot holes. And uh, mm -hmm. or you could just get a thumbtack, but you got to make these pilot holes. You got to use your drill vise. You got to put these barrels to make it look like bullets can come out. All right, you can do your black dot, which is fine, or you can drill the barrels. I think drill barrels looks better. Yeah, you don't even have to drill it very much; just enough to cast a shadow inside the barrel. Exactly. Painted. Exactly. It does you don't have to go all the way into it and be all crazy with it? Well, you don't have uh, to bore use... out the entire length of the barrel. You know what I mean? Like all yeah, 16 correct. inches or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you just we just want to go in a little bit with it. I use, like I said, I use a pen vise, and I'll just drill into it just a little bit, and that's all it takes. Uh, okay, real quick question. Yes. This is more of a, I guess, an artistic preference more than like a recommendation or anything. Plasma. Plasma isn't fired from a barrel in theory, right? It's fired from a dish. Correct. Which is why, like, the plasma guns typically will have, like, a flat dish, but you still want to kind of make it look like a dish, which is why I'll get a uh, drill bit that is exactly the same circumference, or just, like, a fraction of the circumference smaller than the dish itself and just create a little indention sort of thing to make it look like a dish. And that's just, if you, if you choose to go that extra mile, you, you should, I'm, th I'm saying, you know what I mean? Plasma well, would be filed from a dish, not a barrel. Correct. Now, I do the same thing. I, I absolutely do that as well. You know, you, you got to, it, it's all the small details that's in this hobby that you can't skip over uh, that add, really add to the overall look of the army. Absolutely. All right. So, plastic, we're done, I think, right? We've hit all the big things. Yeah. But let's get into no. sickering because this sickering is way different than plastic. This is resin, and we've never worked with resin before. So okay, what if you've should we never do? worked with resin, I, the very first thing you should do is wash the resin. You need to have a very good, strong anti-degreasing uh, dish soap, or you could soak it, or you could clean it in like a simple green would work. Uh, 
that's probably about as, as, as extreme as I would go on it because anything else is a little bit more abrasive. You're going to need to get gloves and all that jazz. But dish soap, scrub it with warm water. You know, you you could – there's two ways you can do it. You can scrub it, let it dry, and then tear into it, or you can just put it in a – put it in a – and let it sit overnight. Uh, you don't even have to scrub it. You just put it in a warm, soapy dish, not your wife's Tupperware because she will get this and down that road. Uh, and, and you can let it sit overnight. But if you want to get into it, you'll, you can scrub it with a toothbrush and dry it. And once it dries, then you, you can lay all your parts out. I, I highly recommend you get the, the, the sheet that comes with the model, with the Forge World kit. And it has a breakdown of all the pieces that are supposed to be there. Uh, I would highly recommend, since this is your first time going into it, to check off and just verify that each piece is there. That you didn't have like two right tracks when you need a left and a right. Uh, verify okay, all so that. So let's say that uh, we're looking at our pieces and uh, we're missing the left uh, barrel for our sicker and battle tank. Mm-hmm. We just say fuck and <laughs> move on. Or what can we do? Anytime you run into either a miscast, a missing part, or anything of that nature that would hinder you from completely building the kit, you immediately need to uh, need to go ahead and email Forge World. I usually email them, uh, but if you if you got like the if you have the ability, you can call them the next day. Go right ahead, but email them and you know explain to them. I, I would I always put in the heading. I always put you know missing parts or damage part or whatever so in the email you put that in your heading and then you need to put your order number they're going to want to know the there's a couple numbers on the package they're going to want to know you're going to need to dig off those numbers as well let's see the batch number i think is one of them there you go batch number you're going to need your batch number and your order number and then a description of the part and maybe even the part number off of the actual uh sheet that i was i was describing uh that comes with all the kits yes Put so all that pertinent information I, in there, and Forge World will take care of it. Yeah. So uh, the reason I want to point this out is do not throw, do not just grab your parts and throw everything away. You need to keep that stuff until you've done a count and your look over, and you, you, you if once you think everything is 100% where you can work on your model, then you can throw the bag and all that other stuff away. Yes. Uh, but hold on to that stuff because it is important. Yep. Very much important. Uh, and, but it, uh, I've also done things where, like, I've ordered um, assault marines, and I got uh, it was a mix-up where I had the torsos for um, Palantine blades, mm-hmm. and with the assault marines. So I, my thing is, I take pictures to show them. Look, but eh, you know, as David said, just the information, the numbers is what they're looking for. Get that to them; they'll take care of you. Yeah, Forge World is very good about taking care of, of, of customers whenever they have issues with uh, – so don't be afraid of that. That's not a big deal. And only, the only thing it would do is it'll just slow you down a little bit. Uh, but yeah. let's just say for this instance, everything's there. You've washed your kit. It's all 100%. So you're going to want to start looking at the instructions. They're getting better. Let's just say you're on a newer kit with the newer instructions. Yeah, let's, let's because some of these kits are- – yeah worst case scenario where you'll just get black and white photos of what it should look like when it's done yes you uh, know you kind of feel like homer simpson when he he tries to build the uh the cookout shed or whatever you know 
Yeah, it, it, unfortunately, this Karen does have that black and white. I don't think they've updated it yet, have they? Uh, I just got the Arcus, and oh shit, I can't. The Arcus does. Remember. Yeah, I think the Arcus has the Arcus got new does. stuff. Yeah, but uh, the old battle tank, I think, does not. No. Yeah. So let's just say you end up with that white sheet that is a picture of black and white, and you're looking at it going, "What the fuck?" Once you you, you you can visualize all your pieces. Once you look at all your pieces and verify them, you can actually look at the picture and just do a whole lot of dry fitting. No glue, just dry fit everything. Um, you're gonna and go on the uh, go, go on Forge World and look at what the model should look like when it's built. You know, correct. Look at correct. it and be like, okay, so there really shouldn't be such a large gap between this piece and this piece. Because on what they're advertising, it's not there. So why is it on mine? Maybe it's warped. Who knows? But you know something's wrong. Yeah, that 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 is a very real possibility. That does happen a lot. And don't be discouraged because it's easily fixed. Uh, once you remove your casting gates, you can you you know you, removing those you're gonna you, they can be kind of tricky. Those are the big like triangle pieces off all the resin. You'll notice those or anything that's just like uh, like tube shaped or anything like that coming off of the resin that just doesn't clearly belong. Uh, the best thing I found to, to, to get rid of that stuff is I use a bone saw and I'll saw those big pieces off, especially on the back tracks, the back upper part of a Sakarian on the tracks, there's two ginormous ass casting gates. And the best way to get them off is with a, is with the bone saw. Uh, like I'll, yeah. I'll saw those off. And I'll use, like I was saying before, I'll, I have, uh, to me, a sanding paper in my in my in my my toolbox. I use that stuff, and if if anything, you know, you might end up having to do a little bit of green stuff work or liquid green stuff work on that back area. Uh, but cleaning that up and making it look normal is is pretty important because that that tank is is known for those those gates that most people just like to give up on and then they don't they don't fix. So um, once you, you also got to be careful. Particularly, this is just a side note for the exact mm -hmm. kit of the Sikarin. Those gates, if you do try to sand them, you got to be careful because there's two little rivets that are right at the same yes. level as the gate, and you can easily uh, remove those. Yeah, so definitely, you got to be very cognizant of all that. The, the fact that oh well, I guess there won't be rivets there. So <laughs> you know. yeah, or you could you could make the, let's just say just sand it and be very cognizant of those. I mean, worst case scenario, if you do if you do file them off, you can make them and put them back on. They're just it's going to be a pain in the ass to put them back on. Uh, but once you get all your casting gates off your off the kit, do a lot of dry fitting, and and, and understand where pieces are going to go and how they fit in relation to the picture or like you said off Forge World's website. You you don't want to get in a big hurry when you're assembling these these Forge World kits. Take your time with them. And that way they can go together nicely. You know, you'll there's a the bottom the bottom piece of a Sakarin is known to be warped 98% of the time. Yeah. Uh, I use a hair dryer a lot on Forge World stuff. Uh, you can use heat guns, but I find that a hair dryer works just fine for me. Uh, you can also use warm water. You can soak the parts and then shape them to where you want. That works as well. Uh, but like I said, I I just typically go with a hair dryer. Uh, so if you're having problems with anything that doesn't fit, just heat them up, 
bend them a little bit. It's not a huge deal. You'll find that once these parts get warm, they do bend pretty easily. So once you, uh, on that, on that particular kit, trying to remember, I don't think there's any real areas where you really should start pinning stuff. Uh, no, I think it's, it's pretty straightforward. The entire kit is, it's her. It is just gravity held. Yeah. And yeah. So I mean, you you'll, could magnetize the turret if you wanted, but uh, gravity doesn't. Yeah. Really so unless you're playing, yeah, pretty much. I don't see a reason, you know. The only thing I ever magnetize on that kit are the are the sponsons. I always oh, magnetize yes, sponsons yes. on every every tank that I come across. Uh, and and then the sub assemblies here, the the twin accelerator barrels, I think it's what they're called. Yep. You, I don't glue those on. I'll leave those off, and that'll be just because I can paint it all, do sub assemblies with with painting. So I I would recommend doing that, just leaving those off and painting your barrels separate and then gluing those on the closer you get to finishing the kit. Yeah, definitely. This is where we talk about sub-assemblies again because we're going to do the barrels will be separate, the turret will be left alone, each sponson and each weapon on those sponsons would be left off, in my opinion, also. Correct. Even also, the center, the heavy bolter in the, the center as well, I leave center. off. And that little piece of armor that holds it in is also left on, uh, yep. left off. I'm sorry, um, but yeah, this, when you get to resin, you're going to want to do a lot of sub assemblies, especially on these larger vehicles, just because there's going to be so many pieces that they're going to be faster to paint if you leave them unassembled. Correct. I mean, let's face it, you're you're you're, you're dropping a fair amount of coin on this kit. You don't want to just rush together and throw it all together, and just to get it together so you can play in the game that tomorrow. Worst Don't. thing you can do yes. is rush a project, ru rush an art project so you can play with it. That exactly. is the worst thing you can do. If you've spent $150 on a Bane Blade, even, you got to invest the time to make sure it looks 100% so you don't have to go back to it later. Get it done exactly. right the first time. Don't half-ass two jobs, full-ass <laughs> one job. There you go. Perfect. Yeah, definitely. So you, you you just when you when you go into these Forge World kits, you just gotta be you gotta be patient and enjoy it. You know, and don't 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 be in a hurry. Enjoy the kit. You know, enjoy the hobby side of the kit when you're. Uh, just those those few tips you really got to be cognizant of is just just check your parts going into it, make sure they're there, and uh, the rest will be pretty good. I mean, any don't be discouraged by anything that's been or because it can be unbent and unwarped just as easy as it bent and warped. Not a big deal. All right, let's talk more specific, I guess. Again, we're going to get into okay. the artistic side of things. Uh, if you remember the old, I say old, they're not that old, Imperial Armor uh, hobby books that they put out. Yes. Um, I have one. They went in good detail about giving your vehicle a story based on its armor. So, David, when you get a new piece of armor, do you take the time to battle damage it, or do you let the paint do that? Do you do physical battle damage, typically? Now, I think we've talked before about projects where you may have gotten a piece that was miscast or something like that, and that's the perfect opportunity to take that miscast and make lemonade out of lemons because you can make it look like battle damage and that kind of stuff, you know? Correct. Yeah, definitely. But you definitely need to build a story with these models. So if something is bent and warped or damaged, then 
roll with it sometimes. Sometimes it, it, it's not a, you know, a deal breaker. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I I have in the past, I have like uh, on the Thanatar that I did for the uh, Nova charity last year. I what was, la- yeah, it was last year. I actually went ahead and did the battle damage to the resin before I even primed it. So I took like a hobby knife and I scored it in some spots. You can score these things up. You can, you know, dig a little bit of the resin out. You can drill holes for like bullet holes. Uh, I've done all that before. You know, that's a little bit more involved. Uh, It's not hard. That's for damn sure. But it, it does add a really nice element. But that's a little bit more advanced as far as like the drilling for the damage for the bullet holes and stuff like that. Sure. sure. Uh, so, but, but the main point that I want to relay to listeners is that you're trying to build a story with these models. You want people to look at these right. models and be like, okay, so there's a lot of sand and dirt on this. So I can assume that maybe this is a desert. Uh, he's got lots of extra sandbags put onto this model. Maybe they're using improvised armor because they're a shattered legion and they don't have access to, fresh kits or, or fresh panels of ceramide and stuff like that to patch up the, these uh, whole hits they've taken. So mm-hmm. it's just all kinds of stuff like that. You're trying to build a story with these models. Remember that, guys. Don't rush it. Get the story yes. down. Now, another... If, if, you're, if, you, if you've picked up, like, the, the model masterclass, you know, the Horse Heresy Volume 1 or 2, or any of those yeah. books to draw a lot of inspiration from, uh, there's there's a couple other books that I you know I can recommend as well. It's uh, Adam's Armor. Uh, these are military modder, modeler books. Uh, they do a lot of the detailing like you're talking about, like the beating up of the tank before you actually get into the paintwork on it. Anything like that you can come across. Uh, so Adam's Armor is a book by Adam Wilder. Correct. Yeah. So he's got uh, I think what is it two books. We'll yeah, I've got book one and one. book two. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're really good books. They, you, you can pull a lot of really cool shit out of these two books. And I think that's great is that Horus Heresy is more painted towards the uh, scale modeler kind of theme. At least it used to be. We're seeing a lot more Correct. edge highlighting and artistic stuff now with uh, like the Space Wolves and Thousand Suns that have been released from Forge World. Yeah, but it yeah. I be a lot of like scale modeler with pigments and not such exaggerated highlights, but uh, still very realistic uh, models is what they looked like. I say. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's what really sold me on the hobby as a whole is the whole military modeler type of modeling that went into Absolutely. these space marines. Absolutely. And I just really loved it. Absolutely. I went on Forge World and I saw that they had thousand or. Uh, Iron hands that were not painted in the same like cartoonish black and gray highlights, and I yeah. was like, "What is what is this crazy green sort of oily look <laughs> they got going on, man?" Yeah, I was sold. Yeah, that, that 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 when I first time I ever painted that that scheme, man, I fell in love with it, and I have yet to do an iron iron hands commission. And I, damn it, I would love to do one just so I can paint that scheme again. It's really awesome yeah. stuff. But, but uh, yeah, I think oh also. Quick question. Let's get back on topic real quick, if you're all right. Yes. Uh, yeah, oh, definitely. I'm, I'm building the Sikorin. I'm using plastic glue, right? Because it's it's from no. Forge World. So it's got to be – it's from <laughs> no. Games Workshop, right? No, definitely not. We are 100% using super glue. And if 
to to help with the with the with your mental stability, you want to use either a little either a zip kicker or, or an Instaset is what I use. Yeah, you do not have four hours to sit there and hold tracks together. No. Uh, so use these accelerators, guys, and also get some rubber bands because they are going to help you out a lot. Yes, rubber bands are your friends, or like those those like woodworking clamps. Yeah, that's what I use is the woodworking clamps. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Yeah. I just bought three of them, put them at front end and or front middle and end, and uh, leave it overnight. Yep. <laughs> yep. So if you're you're definitely super gluing everything together. Again, dry fitting these things two and three times just to make sure the parts fits right. You know, heating up the, the resin as needed to, to get your bends and warps out before you, you spray it with the accelerator to uh, set it in place. But once you've got it all together, once you've got your, your sicker and hull all together, you've got your turret together with your, your accelerator cannons off because you're going to paint those in your sub-assemblies. You've got your, your sponsons off because you can do those in your sub-assembly. Uh, now is the time, you, you know, you, you probably want to go ahead and magnetize those sponsons. Uh, again, that is something that is not as bad as, as one would think it is. It's really not hard at all. Uh, you just got to be really, you know, you watch your polarization on your magnets when it comes to, to setting your magnets. You'll have to drill out. I use a Dremel uh, to Dremel out the, the parts of the side of the tank to recess the magnets. Uh, I'll do that in the sponson as well. That way they can recess and they fit flush. Uh, once you got your magnet set, then your uh, then everything else is just sit back and admire your kit for a second and uh, decide which direction you want to go with. Uh, either you want to damage it before uh, with, with scoring it, or if you want to do that in the paint. Let's just say for this one, you're going to do it in the paint. Yep. Let's make it simple. This is your first one. Let's yeah. not get crazy with it, you know? Real yeah. quick, I think I'm going to say one thing about magnets, and then I think we're going to have to call it because we've been going for a while. Okay. Um, magnets. Get yourself a little tool, glue on some magnets on either side, and color one magnet. So I've done this. I got like a little piece of uh, plastic, and on either side it's got a magnet. They're both flowing in the same direction. All right? And then one side has got circled black paint. That way I know that's, you know, north side or, or whatever. But yep. use this little magnet to guide you. So you always know you're make sure, you make sure you put magnets in the correct direction. That way you're never doing polar opposites to where the gun is trying to go into the more Dathan's hand and it's getting ejected out into nowhere. <laughs> so embarrassing. It is. The There's first nothing time you worse than trying to take a oh. magnet out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Digging a magnet out because you put it in wrong is the worst time of your life. You will hate it. So get a tool. Just build one from scratch. You don't, It's not much uh, effort to put into it, but just make sure you're always putting your magnets in the same way every time. And uh, I think Correct. that's going to cover it. Dave, thank you very well, much uh, for this. I've got oh. one more, yeah, go one ahead. more little, thing, little thing to add. K&J Magnetics actually has a K&J Pole ID app that you can download. I download it on my iPhone and you can it's actually witchcraft. Yeah, it's witchcraft like I'm up here. You can put your phone up to the magnet and it'll tell you which if it's north or south. Shut uh, the fuck up. Are you serious? <laughs> it works. It uses the uh, inbuilt oh compass, God. I think. Yep. It uses the inbuilt compass in your iPhone. 
So We're check living out, in the future, people. Yeah, K&J Magnetics. Just search, search for it in your app store. And you, I use it. it. It's worked for me with no, with no issues. But other Plus, that, that is a great supplier of magnets to begin with. Yes, yes. That's where I get all my magnets. Get them in fast, get them magnets. Yep, yes. in 52. Yeah, I think we talked about that last time where do not get – or no, that was on uh, the Canadian guys. What are they called? Age of Darkness? Yeah, Age of Darkness. They had a big spiel about magnets not too long ago. Uh, give that cast a listen to if you want to hear about how not to go about buying magnets in bulk. <laughs> Make sure they're in the Man, that, that poor guy, the host bought, yeah. what was it, 500 magnets of the weak mag- magnetic pole? I was, oh, man, oh. I've been there, you know? But, uh, yeah, I think, David, thank you very much. We're at the stage. No We've got magnets in our models. We've test fit everything three, four times. Guys, remember, measure twice, cut once. That's that's how it goes, okay? This is just like any other construction you've done. You're all adults, probably. Uh, Hopefully. And you've built shit before to impress women in your life, okay? Maybe it's a shed. Maybe it's a fucking sicker and battle tank, all right? Whatever it is, do it like a man. Do it like a carpenter. Go through that shit, and you got to build this well. Build it well the first time so you don't regret it later on. But uh, I all think right. that's it, Jesse. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks, Will. And thanks, Dave. And coming up next, fun little segment that you might have heard of, Heresy Grad School. All right, guys, we are back. And for that fun little segment we all know and love, Heresy Grad School with Dave and Jason. Take it away. All right, kids. Uh, So this episode started out pretty entertaining. It's something we wanted to do like a small sort of one-off bite-sized episode in between like that big long Istvan deal we did three parts. So uh, what ended up happening is we figured out uh, this was a lot deeper than we originally thought it would be. And that, of course, is we're going to take a look today at the Legio Mortis. Yeah, man. Oh, Lord. So deep. So the first thing I learned about Legio Mortis is they're actually a lot more prolific than I would originally give them credit for. Uh, Starting off, I know we've mentioned a couple of times they are... One of the original three of the Triad Forum Margulis, which were the first three Titan Legions the Mechanicum put together back in the Age of Strife when they were trying to take Mars back from the uh, wacky cyber carnivora, the uh, mutants that had infested it, which is a very unattractive place to be. So to do this, they crafted the original Triad, which are the Legio Mortis, the Legio Ignatum and Legio Tempestus. My now, boys. Uh, fun fact that Dave, Pat, and I figured out. Uh, there's actually, uh, we rooted out a mistake on uh, Lexiconum. And uh, Pat, gentleman that he is, uh, corrected that business post-haste. Uh, they actually listed Legio Mortis, uh, Ignatum, and Certivora as the Triad Faramorgulis, which uh, Certivora is actually a second-generation Titan Legion that their pattern 
of like the whole way their legion is built was uh, designed after Ignatum. Just a fun little fact. So the the correct legion, of course, is Tempestus. Of course. I mean, if you check out Mechanicum, which is uh, at about book eight or so in the Horus Heresy series, uh, it sets that whole record straight. I, totally a terrific read. Going to be in our uh, notes at the end here. Check out. Definitely. But uh, it's definitely in my top three favorites. It gets so ridiculously deep into the Mechanicum, and it was something that... At the time, even if you go back now, it's something you don't get the history of anywhere else. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, I mean, it's, it's Graham McNeil, again, given a blank slate and being able to go back to before the heresy into the age of strife, into the dark age of mankind, and just, you know, based on John Blanche's art, uh, you know, techno-barbarian hordes and just fucking craziness i mean jason what you were saying think of what how bad does it have to get to create titans like what are you fighting you know like the carnivora and the what are the psi you know vampires of like the old knight i mean how bad does shit have to get to create god engines well for any action there is definitely not equal reaction uh the mechanicum is known for overkill being their over only type of reaction that's why i'm a big fan so yeah uh, let's start heading down this legio mortis rabbit hole so uh throughout the length of this we're bouncing back and forth a little bit between uh page 138 is where it gets uh started on their little title card in a book one, Betrayal. And also I pulled a lot of notes from uh, the Mechanicum novel, which again is exceptional and gives a lot of detail that you really don't get anywhere else. So uh, first off, it's one of the largest Titan legios numerically. Uh, at the outbreak of the heresy, they actually place it at around 200 separate which is a hell of a lot. Uh, it's the second largest out of any of the Legios, uh, second only to Legio Destructor, which is interesting because that is not a Forge World, or um, it is not a Legion of Mars. It is from a completely different Forge World, and it is a second-generation Titan Legion. So that's a whole other story we can jump into at some point down the line. But the important thing to remember about Mortis, it's the second largest Titan Legion. It, of course, does end up siding with Horus and the Heresy, but they also are not, uh, it's not like Legio Audax. As cool as they are, they are all Warhounds. Uh, this is not the case with Legio Mortis. They actually possess a very strong contingent of Imperator and Nemesis engines. Uh, as well as at least one apocalypse pattern type, which we don't even know what that is, but it sounds pretty badass. <laughs> Especially if Legio Mortis, the second largest legion, have only got one of them. Probably a pretty big deal. But the bulk of this legio is made up of warlords, reavers, and night gaunts, and they actually have a really low proportional number of warhounds. Not a whole lot of scouting going on, a whole lot of recon and force, I guess. But uh, 
the th another thing about Legio Mortis that immediately jumped to the forefront, like I was saying at the beginning, we thought this was going to be a little bit of a smaller episode until we fell down the full depth of the rabbit hole here. Uh, they're very, very prolific throughout the length and breadth of the heresy, uh, starting out even way back in the Ulanor campaign. This is the Titan Legion that supported the Luna Wolves when they finally broke the Ulanori Orc Empire and set about, that was like the biggest deal and the turning point of the Great Crusade. Legio Mortis was there. Uh, a little later on, they were the Titan Legion that supported the, uh, now they were the Sons of Horus as they took over the uh, third moon of Davin uh, when Horus went back to retake it from the Imperial Governor turned renegade uh, Yugen Timba. And again, that was Legio Mortis. And if you remember last time on our Isvan 3 episode, this is where uh, Legio Mortis really came into their own as kind of the big bad guys of the Titan Legions. It was actually the first time that the Legionis Astartes met the Legio Titanicus in open combat. So, um, the biggest thing for Legio Mortis when they got started with the other two legions of the original triad, they were used very exclusively by the fabricator general Kelbor Hall, almost as his own personal weapon. Uh, not only was the war on Mars to retake it, it wasn't really pacified until the coming of the emperor which is about two centuries or so before the kickoff of the great crusade uh kelbor hall used the legio mortis as his personal attack dogs too to um almost as like a weapon for censure against uh majos that he disagreed with to really bring them in line and that is something that definitely fostered a rivalry between the other two legios of the triad uh, most notably Legio Ignatum, the Fire Wasps. And those are the guys that actually, even in 40K, have Titans that stand outside on vigil for the Gates of Terra itself. So you cannot get a more divisive you know, argument between Legio Mortis and Legio Ignatum. They are essentially absolute opposite ends of the spectrum now. And it is this kind of reputation for causing problems, for being very, um, Legio Mortis was also, uh, they were very contemptuous of other Titan Legions, especially those from secondary Forge World. They kind of saw other Titan Legios as like upstarts. And again, their loyalty was straight to the Fabricator General, not to anybody else, not even really to Mars itself, and definitely not the Emperor. Which, that whole reputation is what led the Imperium as a whole to be assigned to Horus to deepen their ties to the Imperium. And if that's not textbook irony, I don't really know what is. Because a huge bulk of the Legio was assigned to the 63rd Expeditionary Fleet in the thoughts that these guys are kind of like problem kids. You know, they're doing their own thing. Kelbor Hall is just using them however he wants. So we're going to take a whole bunch of them, we're going to attach them to Horus, as charismatic as he is, Kelbor Hal is all creepy, Horus is charismatic and attractive, they will definitely go for Horus, and we will slowly start to win them over. This, of course, not what happens. Hmm. Um, 
not a great plan there. And uh, again, they end up on Istvan 3. Things really go south from there. And with that, I am going to uh, turn it over to our resident professional rabbit hole spelunker, uh, Dave here, for a little bit of a deeper dive into some of these connections throughout the length and breadth of the heresy. Right on. Hey, thanks, Jason. So, um, Legio Mortis is prevalent in every black book that uh, Forge World has produced. So I'm not going to go through every entry um, because it would just take too long. But so we stay true to our roots here at, at, at Heresy Grad School. I am going to touch on a couple notable events in the black book. Um, page 109 in book two, um, you're going to be able to, but sorry, page 36 in book two, which is Massacre, you're going to be able to read about Legio Mortis um, in the Istvan V drop site massacre and how they basically annihilate uh, Legio Artaris. So there's a lot of backstory there, a lot of backstory about why Legio Artaris um, commits their strength to essentially a suicidal mission. Um, against Mortis, uh, they were given less than a 13% chance of survival to engage the Mortis engines that were on um, Istvan 5, uh, but they decided to do it anyway. The backstory to that is um, Artaris and Mortis were in a war years before in the heresy, um, something called the Sheetum Drifts, where they were both engaged uh, underneath the 63rd Expedition banner. So Horace was in charge of this uh, persecution of the Eldar. And they were on a planet called Narc Zeta. And uh, basically, Legio Ataris was hung out to dry. So when it got to Istvan V and Ataris dropped in to support the Iron Hands, um, Mortis was there. They were deployed. They knew what was happening. Um, but Ataris committed their strength, which was, I think, a revert, no, two reavers and uh, three warhounds, so a demi maniple. And one of the reavers was able to uh, destroy a mortis engine um, called the Breath of Thunder. And it's a pretty cool story, so you guys should check that out. Um, book two, Massacre. Uh, Page 36 is where it starts, and you can jump to page 157 to get the backstory. Um, in book three, you're going to want to turn to page 109. Um, this is extermination. And then pages 155 to 157 are going to describe why Legio Furians, um, or Ferrarians, which is a traitor legion, um, you know, why they're kind of aligned with mortis and that also goes back to the early crusade actually almost pre-crusade uh the liberation of legio furians um forge world which is um in Caladine. and in Caladine has a really badass history uh these guys are way off the reservation so uh for the fourth legion comes in so the iron warriors but before they're the iron warriors they come in 
uh, with support from Mortis. So this this is really going way back in the lore here. And they they sort of bring the world to compliance. And at the same time, they reconstitute the Martian presence and the Mechanicum presence on um, in Caladine. And Legio Furians, which is a, a really rogue Legio uh, in, in most regards, they're very warlike and almost paranoid. Uh, they, they sort of tie their banner to Mortis because of this um, liberation. And so that's that's one of the reasons why they turn uh, traitor eventually is because Mortis came in. So there's a good Mortis backstory in, in book three as well. In book four, uh, page 139, this is all about Legio Tempestus. So if you read uh, Mechanicum or the Binary Secession, which, which Jason talked about a little bit, um, you'll you'll get the backstory of Mortis and Tempestus. They're long rivals, but there's some great stuff in there. Uh, and then book seven, which is one of my very, very favorite entries. I mean, book seven blows it out of the water in so many regards. But page 108 in book seven, there's an amazing full-color plate. And it is, I think, the first and only full color plate in the black books of a warlord titan so uh if you're listening and you think i'm wrong or you know there's another tree go ahead and shoot me a link and i'll give you something um prove me wrong but i believe page 108 is the first and only entry of a warlord titan and it is legio mortis of course it is the Cadaverous Perdita, and the Cadaverous Perdita was sent to Prospero to participate in the censure of Prospero. So Mars knew there was a Forge World, obviously, on Prospero. You can go back and listen to some of our earlier grad schools on Zawar Cod. Don't think they knew much about him, but they knew they were going to be a threat. So Horus personally assigned the Princeps Majoris um, Maldus Drain to this, this endeavor, and he gave him personal orders. So this is Horus manipulating the Prospero engagement. So anybody who thinks that uh, Prospero happened because the Emperor wanted Magnus dead, uh, go back and read Book 7 and this entry right here, because this is clear that the war master gave personal instructions to the princeps senioris of Legio Mortis to prosecute uh, this this landing and prosecute this uh, Legio uh, Zestabiax. However, it did not go according to plan. So, when Legio Mortis landed, uh, they had no idea that. Legio Zestabiax had the power and the numbers that they had. Uh, Legio Mortis was essentially defeated and destroyed um, to an engine. And there's a great story uh, between pages 108 and 109 in book seven. I won't spoil it for you guys. You guys got to go back and read it. But it's, um, it's awesome. And it gives some good uh, detail on both Legio Zestabiax and Mortis. So the very last uh, Easter egg I'll close with is something from Imperial Armor Book 13. 
which is a um, it's a 40k supplement. You can still get it. it. It's out of print now, but you can hit eBay and find it. It's called War Machines of the Lost and the Damned. And this is something that really I stumbled on. So uh, page 139, there's a sidebar entry called The Plague Titans of Legio Mortis. And this describes what happened uh, to Legio Mortis 10,000 years into the future and sort of where, you know, what has become of them. So you should definitely check this out if you can. It's, it's pretty awesome. There's also a little excerpt, the second paragraph, which gives you some details of what happened when Legio Mortis landed on Terra and besieged the Emperor's palace. So Jason already gave you a little bit of their disposition, right? A little over 200 um, god engines, a little over 200 machines. When Legio Mortis landed on Terra and besieged the Emperor's palace, they lost over 30 engines. So that's sort of an irreplaceable loss for a Titan Legion, um, but it speaks to Mortis's uh, dedication to Horus and, and sort of their, their preeminence within the Legios and, and their place in, in the overall heresy. So they do end up uh, fleeing into the Eye of Terror where they're pursued and they're hunted. Uh, like the traitor legions themselves, when they enter into the Eye of Terror, they sort of become dispersed. Uh, they become more like war bands rather than a, a true um, legio. And 10,000 years into the future, guys, they're, uh, they're still kicking ass. They're still uh, taking names. And uh, Jason's going to give you a little more backstory on uh, Legio Mortis, I think, 10,000 years into the future. Back to you, dude. Thanks, Dave. So, with this one, we're going both back and forward at the same time. Because we're tossing ourselves 10,000 years into the future of 30K to uh, check out the 41st millennium. But uh, novel-wise, we're uh, dipping way back to 2002 and uh, the Storm of Iron novel which is actually one of the very first things I uh, read in 40K literature. I played the game for quite some time before I figured out, like, wow, there's actually a whole bunch of novels. But, uh, yeah, I checked this out, uh, I think in 2003 originally, but it's a terrific book about the Iron Warriors coming to lay siege to a planet called Hydra Cordatus, which... Not to get all the way deep into this story, but nobody knows why there's this enormous fortress on Hydra Cardatus, why it's important, why anyone wants it. To the guardsmen stationed there, it's just this goofy, out-of-the-way citadel that the Adeptus Mechanicus have been poodling around with, not doing a whole lot of anything for hundreds of years. But, uh, suffice to say, it does turn out that there isn't a pretty important objective for the Iron Warriors on Hydra Cordatus, and if you guys have been into the Iron Warriors novel in the Horus Heresy, I'm sure you've run across uh, Graham McNeil's characters like uh, Kroger, Forex, uh, actually figure out 
what uh, what these guys are up to ten thousand years in the future, and it's pretty it's pretty great to see. But uh, another uh, personality from the thirty first millennium that features heavily in uh, say Istvan three is the Dice Ire of it's pretty much the most iconic titan of Legio Mortis. Is an Imperator class. Uh, he was on Istvan three, and uh, as Dave mentioned during the Istvan three episodes, there's a uh, quite a bit of drama going on on board the uh, bridge of the Dizire, uh during Istvan three. Uh, we don't know if any of the guys that uh, ended up assuming control are still there in the forty first millennium, but one interesting thing that is there, uh, the Dizire is an Imperator, and then it has a uh, kind of a squad mate called the Pater Mortis. And their uh, coffin ship, uh, they don't really have access to the coffin ships of the Mechanicum any longer because it's been quite a while since they've been in touch with Mars. What they do have, however, is a uh, Tyranid hive ship that the Iron Warriors infected with the Obliterator Technovirus. So that's what they use uh, to get around in the 41st millennium. Uh, sadly, the Dizire does end on Hydrocordatus. Uh, it's originally wounded uh, by Princeps Firearc of the Legio Ignatum. So that's a really nice big circle there, coming all the way back down to the uh, original fight between the original two, uh, original two Legios from the Triad Ferrum. And originally, uh, he is again wounded by Princeps Fire Arc, and right at the end of the novel, uh, the Dizire does meet his end, uh, killed mutual destruction by acting Princeps Dikayan and his warlord titan, the Honoris Casa. So that is uh, Storm of Iron, two thousand two, Graham McNeil, an excellent novel to go back and check out. From uh, the heights of third edition Warhammer 40k, back before it was this goofy Saturday morning cartoon stuff, we uh, migrated away from into the heresy. But that is the uh, full circle of Legio Mortis. Dave, you got anything else for us? Yeah. So I just want to say, guys, like if if you love um, Titans, you you know at all. You're gonna love Legio Mortis. Uh, just their backstory alone is the story of the of the Collegia Titanica, and digging into Legio Mortis in the Black Books, it it really exposes you to all of the other Titan legions and and sort of the the Legio Titanicus overall. Um, Pat, uh, who is not usually on the podcast, but he does all of our post-production with Jesse and he does a lot of our show notes. Um, Pat is a huge part of the heresy grad school. And he's also a, um, editor over at Lexiconum. So when Jason and I go down the rabbit hole on, um, you know, our different subjects, you know, we feed that information to Pat and then Pat does the hard work of like, getting it right and sourcing the material in, in lexiconum. So when you guys, you know, when you Google that shit and you just type in Legio Mortis, all of your sources are, are spot on. So, um, 
you know, we'll have everything in the show notes. We'll have everything and more, more than we can talk about tonight. Uh, but I want to give a shout out to uh, our, our tech adept, uh, Patrick, because he, uh, he is behind the scenes and he does a huge, a huge service to the community and supports um, Heresy Grad School. So, uh, no, man, I could talk about this for days, Jason, but, you know, <laughs> we got to call it at some point. At some point. All right. Well, thank you, guys. That was real entertaining to listen to. And I appreciate you guys coming on to give us some insight on to Legio Mortis. You're welcome, Jesse. All right. Thank you, guys. Danny, uh, I really appreciate it. <laughs> You're the best, Jesse. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Oh, man. All right. Well, with that being said, you guys just want to roll into a closing statements now? I think. Sure. Yeah. Let's there. do it. What's up? Yes. Cool. All right, Dave, go for it. All right, guys. So this is going to be something a little bit different. Um, I would like to... Uh, put something out there for the community um, and it's an opportunity to support both what we do here um, on uh, the retreat podcast as well as what we do out in in the community as well as grad school right so um, we do this without patreon we do this without asking for you know any any community engagement or support um, and we do that for a number of different reasons, right? We don't want to be tied to, I think, a lot of, uh, you know, um, other, you know, other opportunities. So we keep it clean, we keep it pure for you guys. But at the same time, um, it does it does cost us a little bit to to do this. And um, what we want to do is give you guys an opportunity to contribute, but also give you guys something back. So. Uh, Jason and I developed some art for Heresy Grad School. You guys probably have seen it on the Facebook page. Uh, there are stickers available. Uh, they're pretty cool. They're about three by three, so three centimeters by three centimeters. Um, it's like, <laughs> like a decal size uh, sticker. Uh, if you guys want one, I have a very limited supply. I have not offered them anywhere else. Um, they're going to be available to you guys exclusively for 250. So where where does 250 go? 250. Uh, so a dollar of that goes to the cost of developing the art because um, art is not cheap, and Kurt is an awesome guy. Um, so Kurt Metz does a lot of our artwork, and he. He's awesome member of the community, so we definitely want to support that. Um, a dollar of it is going to go to the podcast and what we do here, uh, how we sort of support the podcast in terms of SoundCloud and uh, everything else that we do, storage fees and everything else. And then 50 cents is going to go to uh, supporting events. So if you guys can come out to any of our events in the future, um, we'll have you know, better swag, uh, you know, better, uh, you know, better tables, better terrain and, and better everything. So, um, I've been talking to Pat about how to do this. I think we're going to try to get a link on the Facebook page. If we don't get one up on the Facebook page, you guys can 
absolutely email me directly. Um, I'll put my, my email in, in the show notes, uh, but it's Dave Dennett at hotmail.com and, uh, and we'll work it out. PayPal thing is fine. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I really hope you guys enjoy what we do here. Um, everything that we offer you guys in terms of, uh, you know, just bullshit as well as, uh, what Will and Dave do and, uh, and all the other, you know, just sidebar conversations that we have. If you guys have any feedback, please let us know and, uh, look forward to seeing you in the future. Cheers. All right. Thank you, Dave. Will, how about yourself? What do you got? Uh, Lancaster painting on Instagram and Facebook and, uh, yeah, man, Dave nailed it. So that's all I got to yep. plug, man, is just the podcast itself. Oh, we set up a, uh, events page. Remember just retreat is right. start hosting events. Uh, no longer going to be set under like the D four three umbrella. It's going to be the remember just retreat. And then within that, you'll find Ariana forge. D43 stuff, just anything that we have our grubby little pits in, <laughs> that's where you'll find it. Cool stuff. All right. Thank you, guys. And again, if you like us, leave us some feedback on iTunes, on SoundCloud, wherever you listen to us. Um, be sure to tell your friends. You can find us on the Remembrance Retreat on Facebook. We have our event page as well. And uh, until next time, that's it. Everyone have a good night. Take it easy. Later. Later.